So certainly I would never say that it's for the faint of heart entrepreneurship. I think you have to have a, a you know, very thick skin and a, and a high level of confidence, but also resilience. Welcome to Ambition Theory, Women in Construction. This show asks questions that everybody is thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. It's about tackling complex topics like why are there so few women in senior leadership positions? What is it going to take to change this? Each episode is a combination of motivation and tactical strategies to get ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. We learn, grow, and create opportunities. I am your host, Andrea Jansen, a certified executive coach with an MBA, and since 2018, I've coached over a thousand construction professionals to level up their leadership. Let's get started. Nadine Spears owns a really interesting construction and manufacturing company. The majority of her team is female and there is very little employee turnover at the company. Her competitors often give her referrals because her products and services are just that good. In this episode, Nadine shares how she unintentionally built an all-female team, why focusing on beautiful products allows her company to stand out from competitors, and how she's built a culture of trust and loyalty that allows her to manage the business remotely from places like Mexico and Spain. I am really excited about this interview, and I want to share it with you today. Meets function. Metal Depot is a supplier of metal roofing and wall panels, as well as a full-service custom fabrication shop. Nadine has owned the business for 14 years, and the really interesting thing about this company is that the majority of the staff is female. Metal Depot is a small shop that stands out in the Winnipeg market because of its attention to making things beautiful. Welcome to the podcast, Nadine. Hi. So I'm really curious, Nadine, if you could tell me um, what attracted you to the construction industry in the first place? Well, I actually got started in equipment finance. Um, and so I was, I was doing finance for Caterpillar and, and GE, and, and it was primarily in the construction realm of heavy equipment finance. And so I got a taste of it there. So it wasn't necessarily that I was attracted to construction, but I really liked the whole market. I liked the people. I liked the, um, the, the industry. And, and that just sort of led me to being open to this opportunity to buy Metal Depot. So um, that, was, that was kind of how I got, um, how I got started in the, in, in the industry. So I'm really curious um, what motivated you to become an entrepreneur. So that's really interesting. You were working for really large corporations and then you went on a limb and you bought a small business. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting as I was reflecting on this, my father was an entrepreneur forever, always trying something new, always, you know, um, irons in the, in many fires and never to any great success. So you would think that that would have scared me off and I would have stuck to corporate and, you know, the tried and true having somebody kind of, um, foot the bill. But I think what it did was it really showed me what is possible. And that for me, it was never about being in corporate. It was all about the lifestyle. It was about what could I create on my own, um, and, and I guess b- growing up with having the confidence to be able to take something like this on. Um, and so 
the opportunity presented itself and, and I grabbed it. I'm really curious about the early days of being an entrepreneur. Like you make it sound so easy, right? You're like, my father was an entrepreneur. I was working in corporate, this opportunity arose and I jumped on it. Um, but the reality is for most entrepreneurs, there's always unforeseen challenges. There's always things that go wrong. Can you tell me about what happened at the beginning and if there were any challenges for you? Well, this is, this is not my first business. Um, and so I was, um, I had some very expensive lessons early on. Um, I owned a franchise out in, uh, in Vancouver. Um, it was actually a weight loss franchise. And so I had dipped my toe in the franchise world and, and learned um, very uh, you know, hard, hard luck lessons or hard life lessons that, uh, that I didn't like the franchise system the way it was there. So that was not an easy learn, but, but I learned. And so the, when the opportunity came up to buy this company, it was a little company. It didn't look like it had too many moving parts. And so, yeah, it's been, um, some very, very tough times in the beginning and, and growing growth always, you know, comes with pain. So certainly I would never say that it's for the faint of heart entrepreneurship. Um, I think you have to have a, a you know very thick skin and a, and a high level of confidence, but also resilience because it's not the the bottom line. Literally, is with you, and so whether that's you know supporting your staff or your customers or your building or your own family, uh, that all comes with huge challenge, but also some great rewards. Do you have a specific example of something that happened early on where you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this happened, and you had to practice those resilience skills that you're talking about? Um, yes. Um, there was, there was a time uh, a number of years ago where I thought this is just not worth it. I'm going back to corporate. Um, this was just too hard making ends meet, trying to grow in a market that, um, you know, and again, we could go off in a whole tangent of the e-myth and, and sort of what that it was, it was a, a realization that I had, I had entered into the e-myth, but in reverse, um, I was a finalist for the Women Entrepreneur of the Year Award. That opportunity caused me great humility and great grief because it forced me to really look at the company. It forced me to look at, at what I was doing well, what I wasn't doing well. And, and I realized that I was on a very, very, very sharp precipice of disaster but I at the time I thought everything looks good having fun so we must be doing well and and we weren't so that was a very scary time and like I said I I went to my staff basically in tears and just said I am so sorry for allowing us to be so vulnerable but I hadn't been looking after the right things, you know, and again, we could get into a whole topic about the difference between smart organizations and healthy organizations. And um, we were super healthy, great, great culture as we always, you know, as we continue to have, but we weren't that smart. I wasn't looking after the right things. And, and that was a very, very, very difficult lesson. And that was the time where I thought, this is just not worth it. I'm going back and let someone else deal with this. That is really interesting So <laughs> that you actually were recognized externally for being an incredible entrepreneur. But when you looked kind of internally at what was going on, it actually was telling a different story. Can you talk about kind of the difference between kind of like that, what people see on the outside and what's actually going on on the inside of a business? Well, I always say, and, and the girls always laugh at me because leaders, we are ducks. 
smooth and graceful on the surface, but paddling like hell underneath. And, and that's the story of an entrepreneur is from the, and that was that humbling um, watershed moment for me to realize that from the outside, we looked great. We looked amazing. We were this amazing team. We were um, for all intents and purposes doing the right thing. But we were very, very vulnerable from a process perspective, financial perspective, um, undercapitalized. Um, yeah, just so many things that I just, I just didn't know about. And, and so it was very scary. But it is, it was, like I said, it was very humbling. It was very telling to be face to face with that um, incongruency and that, um, yeah, just that counterpoint of, of, of that whole, that whole experience. And what was the point when you realized something needed to change? That was probably the biggest point of that in your face realization. Um, And then I always kind of knew that I needed to surround myself with people that are way smarter than I am. um, And that I had skills and, and abilities to create teams and to create culture and to build relationships but that I needed to, to start surrounding myself with smarter people. And I say smarter, not in any way reflective of the people on staff, but just people who had different skill sets. And about two and a half, maybe three years ago, so this is fairly a fairly recent major shift in the way I think about my business. Um, I started down the, the EOS path um, off of the book Traction. And that again, was one of those in your face kind of moments of, of kind of like, holy crap, I need to start being smarter about this. Otherwise, I'm just going to continue in that duck mode of paddling like crazy and underneath and just barely keeping afloat or keeping my head above water. Can you tell us about what EOS is? EOS is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. So it comes from Gino Wickman's book, Traction. And if there is one thing that I can suggest every entrepreneur, well, two things that every, every entrepreneur should do is read E-Myth, which is the entrepreneurial myth. And basically it's the, that most entrepreneurs are technicians suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure. So in my case, I thought, well, I know people and I can build relationships and I'm a good salesperson. Therefore I must be able to run a company. Well, that's just not true. So whether you're a plumber or a roofer or a baker, just because you know how to technically do something doesn't mean that you're in any way ready for all of the moving parts of owning a, owning and operating a, a, a successful business. So that that was a big one. E-Myth was a, was a huge one. And so ironically, I used to give that book to my contractor customers when I was doing uh, finance because I would get things like... Um, a truck driver who wanted to borrow $500,000 for new trucks and uh, had no business plan, had no concept of what the ramifications could be if all of a sudden he blew five tires. His business plan consisted of, well, I know a guy who knows a guy who can take over for me um, in the meantime. So that was that technician suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure. So the other one was traction. And that became for me, and I know there's all kinds of, of paths for, for business success, but, but Gina Wickman's um, traction really just laid it out for me. It was just a very, very easy path of looking at my business differently, looking at my 
functionality within the company and moving myself from that manager doer to shareholder leader uh, position. And that was a game changer for me and for the company. Okay. So now I'm really curious. You talked a lot about um, women uh, on your team and most of your staff is women. Can you tell me about where that idea came from? Because you do own a construction company and this is not common practice in the industry to have an all-female team. Usually it's the other, it's the opposite. Absolutely. So just to clarify, we're, I, I don't really consider us a construction company as much as we are a manufacturer. Okay. So we, make, we make things. Um, so yeah, that's, it's very interesting because it never, it was not a plan. It just, these amazing women kept presenting themselves. And if someone had told me years ago that I would want to be working with a bunch of women, I would have dug my eyes out with a dull spoon rather than do that. Um, I really liked being, for the most part, the only woman at the table. Um, all of my my experience in corporate was most often um, in a very male-dominated world. Um, I spent, even in my recreation time, I spent a lot of my years uh, racing sailboats, often the only woman on the, on the crew. Um, I worked on fishing boats in Australia, again, only woman on the boat for three months at a time. So that was my world. So it's kind of ironic and interesting that I have evolved into being surrounded by women, um, but in a really healthy, exciting way. And these women just keep presenting themselves. You know, one woman came to uh, apply for the job as a, as a salesperson. And as we were doing the tour, um, she sort of looked at the production and she said, would it be really weird if I wanted to try working back here? And it turned, she turned out to be one of the best break person, break operators I've ever had. And so it just has evolved that way. And, and our tagline where beauty meets function really came from one of our old, older contractors, sort of old boys club. And he came in one day years and years ago and he said, not only are you girls at Metal Depot beautiful, but you're functional too. And I said, yep, just, just like our material. And so it sort of became our tagline that, uh, yeah, we know what we're doing. And, and, uh, and it's still to this day, if, if we have a customer comes in and they're standing talking with, with me or with one of my staff and any other male walks up, we have one male that works for us who's um, actually my ex-husband who works as our yard guy. But if he comes into the office, for some reason, they just zone in on him. And I think you're not going to get a lot of answers out of him because we're the ones with the knowledge. So it's quite funny. It is just human behavior um, that they just they just think that a guy should be giving them the answers. And it's um, so we, we still struggle with that. But but often, even from our competitors, we'll get customers come in and, and we go say, so how did you find us? And we said and they'll say, well, we went to. XYZ company and they said oh you want to go see the girls at Metal Depot they'll they'll fix you up I find that really interesting that your tagline it almost because you could see it from like I love how you have this different perspective right you see it as a perspective of opportunity and you don't let things kind of drag you down because that initial comment about like the people on your team being beautiful and functional could be interpreted as being a sexist comment, but you were able to like flip it on its head and really flip the script and turn it into something really empowering and making it about the product. So what kind of like work do you do on your mindset to kind of be able to kind of push through in getting over these stereotypes and not letting it drag you down? 
Well, you know, and of course, there's all kinds of discussion these days about, you know, being being more woke in everything that we do. Well, I can honestly tell you that in all of my time in corporate, as being one of very, very few women in the heavy equipment finance world for many, many years, I got more FaceTime. I got more time on the phone. I got more time with my customers because it was a novelty. And so I'm not ashamed of that. It's not like I just, it, it was from a sales perspective, you want to do everything you can to have five more seconds with a potential customer. And so, yeah, is it a novelty when people come into our beautiful space and see nothing but, but women? Yeah, it's a novelty, but we back it up with expertise and knowledge and, and a, a really, really remarkable experience. So yeah, we, we turn it on its nose and we, we don't shy away from it at all. We don't, um, early on, you know, one of my challenges when I was in uh, corporate and in the, I, I came from a banking background and then went into heavy equipment finance. And I was criticized at the beginning for being too corporate, too bankish. And so everybody, they wanted you to wear khakis and a button down shirt. And, and I did that for a time. And then I thought, you know what, kind of screw you. I don't need to look like you to be able to understand you and to be able to help you. So, but I had to pay my dues. I had to, you know, show that I can be very feminine. I can be a woman, but I can still understand what you need in your business. And, and the same with how we are today. You know, we don't, we don't look like contractors. We don't try to be like contractors. We are, we are who we are and, and we understand your business and we understand the construction world and we understand the building and, and, um, but we had to earn that right for sure. If you are an HR professional or a construction leader and you're curious about how you can better engage and support your female staff, we have some exciting news to share with you. Ambition Theory has developed industry-specific leadership training programs for women in line with the Canadian Construction Association's Gold Seal Certification Program. The goal of these programs is to help companies develop leaders from the talent that already exists internally. There is a war for talent in the construction industry, and engagement and retention are among the best ways to address this. If you want to learn how Ambition Theory can help you improve employee engagement and retention, go to ambitiontheory.ca and book a call with us. And now back to the conversation. Can you just uh, back it up a little bit and describe exactly what Metal Depot does and kind of what service and products you provide for your customers? Yeah. So we, we are a reseller of metal roofing and uh, metal siding products. So uh, there are a number of big role formers within um, across Canada and the, and the United States that we draw from. So that is the rule formed product. So we custom order the big long sheets of roofing. And then what we do is we fabricate um, from flat stock, from light gauge flat stock, we fabricate all of the trims and accessories and flashings that go with that. So we service um, our, our core customers would be architects, designers, installers, developers, as well as high-end uh, homeowners. And right through the whole realm, right down, right to, we call him chicken, chicken coop guy, who wants to just need some metal roofing for his chicken coop. So we service a really wide range, but I would say our sweet spot is that contractor, developer, um, and it, because it is a more, a more high-end um, investment level product, you know, you're going to do it once and that's going to be it. 
Um, and then with our manufacturing, we do all kinds of things that are not sexy and not fun. We, we build J channels and we build, you know, drip edge. So anybody who's in the stucco, stucco world would use a metal or aluminum uh, drip edge on, in, their, in their installation of the stucco. We make those things. Cool. And it's really like the core value of the company. The differentiator of Metal Depot is that aesthetic. It's beautiful. No matter what it is, even if it's simple, um, it's always beautiful. And you're always looking out for that aesthetic appeal. Yeah. And, and it's, um, you know, the product itself is whether it's, um, I wouldn't say the J channel or drip edge is particularly beautiful, but it's, it's quality, it's um, functional. Um, and then, and then we really do, if you were to walk into our space, into our showroom, most often people go, wow, either don't let my wife come in here or where were you five years ago when we did our home? Um, because we really do, we're very, very design heavy in everything that we, that we create and promote. Oh, that's cool. So I want to talk about a different topic, which is the culture of the organization, because you have built this brand, right? You have built this reputation um, for being that person, like your competitors are recommending you, right? So you're, you've built a really strong brand, you've built a really strong culture. Can you tell me how you're actually doing that? It started, I think I would say that it started as a, an unconscious, um, an unconscious, trying to think of the word, it's where, where the unconscious becomes conscious. So because I was driven by lifestyle, I want to be surrounded by people that I want to spend time with. It was never for me, it was never about the money. It was never really about what we make. I always tell the girls, like, I couldn't care less if I came in on a Monday and said, hey, guess what? We're not in the metal business anymore. Let's go into doggy daycare. Um, I can't imagine nine other people that I would rather be in business with. So it's sort of our culture really transcends what we do to how we do it. So we live by the concept of uh, building a business that would put our business out of business. So I'll say, I say that again, because it really, it, it kind of plays with your mind a bit, but build a business that would put our business out of business. So if someone wanted to come into our market and say, okay, how can we take out Metal Depot? What are the things that they would do? What are our weaknesses? What are our, what are the chinks in our armor? And if we know those and we can identify them, then let's fix them or let's change them or let's strengthen them so that, uh, so that, that, that vulnerability isn't there. So the culture is all about our team. It's all about the people. It's about, uh, we love being together. We love working together and it's not a big kumbaya. We, we, we challenge each other again part of the eos world is is really driving clarity role clarity driving um um there's a term called gwc and it's do you get it do you want it and do you have the capacity for it and so driving through your core values and making sure that everybody on the team is really in alignment not just on their job but on how their job affects the overall team and the overall um, operation, the organization, and, and the culture. And so we're maniacal about our culture. And so if you were not in alignment, you'd probably think we were weird, or you would certainly not want to spend eight hours a day with us, because we are maniacal about it. We check our egos at the door, there's absolutely no place for them. And it's, yeah, 
it's unique. <laughs> it's unique. So I'm curious about how, you know, whether, cause you said it right. If people, if you're not a fit, it's like they, you couldn't stand being there for eight hours a day. So how do you know in the recruiting process, whether someone's going to be a fit or not? Well, again, that's been a very interesting sort of evolution. Um, I can honestly say in now almost 15 years, I have never had anybody quit. Nobody has left of their own accord. I've had to help people find other places to be successful, but I've never had, I've never had anybody leave other than to, you know, move across the country or go have a baby or go to school or something, but nobody's ever said, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm out. The reality is I haven't done a lot of recruiting because I think we create a culture that people, whether it's our customers, our vendors, our friends, when they have someone looking for something, they're like, oh, you got to go try and get on with Metal Depot. Or, hey, if you're ever looking for someone, my son, daughter, wife, neighbor um, is looking for something. So we, we, we exude that culture that makes people want to work for us. That being said, we have become more intentional about that recruiting process as we've worked through the EOS and and illuminated our core values and I say illuminated as opposed to created or or come up with because I believe that your core values are there whether you know them or not they are there they are part of your culture so once we illuminated them and became very clear on what they are now it becomes really easy to recruit the right people so what are the values of Metal Depot? Depot. Well, um, we have four. Uh, Own it, learn it, share it, and deliver it. So own it means no blaming. Just own it, personal and and corporate responsibility and accountability. Um, We're not always right, but the customer is not always right. But our job is to make it right. So take responsibility. If we made a mistake, fix it, no questions asked. If the customer made a mistake, fix it with grace, help them, you know, help them, help us both walk away with a, with a good experience. So that's own it, no blaming, learn it, no limits. If you don't know something, ask, learn it. And then the next one is share it. So no ego. So if you have knowledge or experience or thoughts or ways of doing things, share it. There's no holding on to Um, knowledge or expertise for fear of, well, if I share that with you, then you don't need me. Uh, We're very, very firm about that. No ego, check it at the door. Um, Whether you've been here two days, two years or two decades, share it and then we'll all grow. And the last one is deliver it. Um, Just make it happen on, on budget, on time, no excuses, just make it happen. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm really curious because you said something really interesting, like the values are there, whether you've articulated them or not. Um, And since you own the business, I'm curious, do these values come from you or are they something that kind of were created by the team? And how did that process unfold for you to actually figure out what they were and be able to put words to them? Yeah. So that's been a bit of a challenge because I wrestled for, for a long time thinking that what are my own person? And I'm still struggling with what are my own personal values. And again, those values are there. I just haven't been able to articulate them as clearly um, as I have now with the corporate ones. And, and, you know, two years ago when I started talking about, we need to come up with our core values, 
the tendency is to go to marketing slogans and something you can print all over the building and and show your customers and 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 realizing that core values are what they are um and so there's a um when you talk about core values there's three things that core values can't be uh one is aspirational uh one is accidental and one is permission to play so you can't have a core value or it's recommended that a core value can't be something like integrity or honesty those those should just be a given those should be your permission to play like if you if you don't hold those things as being important um nothing else matters so those are permission to play aspirational core values would be more like um um you know, we are the best in, in, in our industry, or we pride ourselves on, you know, working, doing whatever it takes to make it happen. And yet, if you, if everybody leaves at 430, and nobody puts in the extra time to get a job done, then that's really not what your values are today, maybe something you want in the future, but it's not really where you are today. So that would be like an aspirational um, value. And then the other one is accidental. So you could come in and say, we value empowering women in the construction and manufacturing, which we do, but it wasn't by, by it wasn't by intention. So I couldn't, although we we do that, it was kind of accidental. So I wouldn't say that it's one of our core values. So I've always said if the right person presents it him, themselves, then they're going to be the next on our team. It just happens that they've they've all been women lately. That's really interesting. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? It's that feeling that you don't deserve to be there and you don't know what you're doing. At any moment, people will reveal that you're a fraud and that you don't belong. Until recently, imposter syndrome was considered an internal problem, something that's in your head and it was up to you, the individual, to solve this problem. I want to tell you today that this assumption is wrong. There is new research that explains why imposter syndrome is a systemic issue and not an individual problem. We've created a free report exploring the evidence and providing strategies companies can use to address this. Here's the truth. If you're a woman in construction, imposter syndrome is not all in your head. Get the report at ambitiontheory.ca forward slash imposter. And now back to our show. When we first met Nadine, we had a Zoom call a couple of weeks ago, and I was really surprised when your face popped up on the screen because you were joining the call from a remote city in Mexico. And so I know like we all have that we talk about this entrepreneurial dream, be location free, travel, have that freedom, which you talked a little bit about before. But for somebody who owns a manufacturing company, if you think about like really how important is supervision in your kind of business, right? You need someone, usually the thought is you need someone there to make sure um, everybody's showing up, doing the work. If there's a problem, you need to be there to step in. That's kind of the assumption in the industry. So this really caught me off guard when I saw you in Mexico um, as the owner of a manufacturing construction company. Can you tell me a little bit how you're able to do this? Yeah, now I'm in Valencia, Spain. So um, it, I, I guess that became one of my personal values was that I value freedom, I value adventure, but I also, as part of my leadership style, you know, we've talked about transition, transitional versus transformational, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but, but I really take uh, servant leadership to heart and that I, I serve those that I lead. And so the only way that I can or the best way that I can serve my team 
is by getting out of their way and letting them do their work. They don't, and I have spent years going over all the paperwork, going, you know, being a part of that. I've done every, every role in the operation and I would never ask anybody to do something that I'm not prepared or capable of doing myself. Having said that, now it's time for them to do what they do. And so they've been hired and trained and grown and, and nurtured and, and empowered to do their job. They don't need me there every day, making sure they do their job. They're adults and they're, and they're, um, and they're independently wonderful. And I, it, sort of on that note, I had one of our competitors standing in my shop one day and he, I, you know, I said, so what, what's up? And he says, I'm just, I'm just in awe of how this all works. And I said, but you have the same shop, like you have the same kind of setup. And he said, but what do you do like on a Monday morning when half your staff doesn't show up? I said, well, that doesn't happen. Yeah, but what do you do when, um, you know, staff shows up drunk or, or they, you know, they call in sick, you know, two days a week? I said, that doesn't happen. Well, what do you do when, and he listed all these things that I, and I found myself looking at him thinking, wow, like you really um, need to look at your leadership and your culture. Because if you're saying that that is okay within your operation, that's on you as a leader. That would never happen in, in my organization. And not because I'm there cracking the whip, because it's, it's just not our culture. We would never dream of leaving our team in the lurch by just not showing up. I can honestly say over 15 years, maybe twice I've had temporary staff who have had that kind of attitude that somehow along their way, they felt that that was acceptable. And it just, again, with that maniacal culture, it's, you just wouldn't do it. So long answer to a short question, how is it that I'm able to travel? Um, very, I'm very transparent with my staff. Traveling is what feeds me. Um, I'm, I'm single by choice. Um, I've been, been a single mom since I bought the company. Um, my son was seven um, when I bought the company. It, I've, I've always been driven by lifestyle, never about the money, always about the people. And so this is what makes me whole is travel, adventure. Um, and so allowing my staff to know that that's what makes me tick. And then in doing that, they support me a hundred percent in, in, um, in me doing what I need to do, which is traveling. And on an, on, on that note, I'm always amazed at how many of my peers the first words always is, oh, it must be nice. I could never leave my business for more than a week at a time. And a, a pastor of mine once said, if I left this church, the place would crumble down around you. And I thought, wow, that is like the biggest testament to poor leadership ever. And so I really took that to heart, that if the place will crumble down around me, if I'm not there for a week, then really all I've done is bought myself a job. And that was not my plan. I'm getting chills from this story, Nadine. It's such <laughs> a really cool approach to leadership. And I was going to ask you about where you thought you landed on the transactional versus the transformational spectrum. And it sounds like that competitor of yours really focuses on that transactional leadership style, right? They're worried about the supervision, the delegation, 
how many bodies am I going to have? How many bodies do I need? Um, are people showing up, not showing up? Are they showing up um, really not ready to contribute, not ready to work and really correcting those behaviors and really, and I find it interesting that they asked you about that. Like, what do you do when, how do you discipline? That was just like their gut response when they saw your situation. But I can definitely tell from hearing this story that you um, veer like very far towards the transformational side of the spectrum where you're holding these people accountable. You're building that trust. You're building that relationship. It's more about collaboration. It's, it sounds like you're holding people to this really high standard and you're really inspiring them so that they want to show up and you're kind of tapping into their internal motivation. And then they in turn want to help you tap into yours, which is really cool. It sounds like just like honestly, like this gift that keeps on giving, right? This motivation that keeps people going. So definitely think you're on the transformational side of the spectrum. Um, but I'm really curious what you think this brings to the construction or the manufacturing industries who are more, because it's very male dominated and men typically veer more towards that transactional side of the spectrum. Where do you think the opportunity is to have more transformational leaders like you in the industry? That's a tough one. Um, you know, someone asked me about what does what's the the goal for Metal Depot, and I said we want to be leader breeders, and and so if I can breed more leaders and they go on to do more and influence other aspects of business in general, you know, ideally in the construction manufacturing world, um, then then that will have that will become a good legacy for me, a worthwhile legacy. So. As much as as much as I never want to lose people that I have now, I also want to, you know, in my faith, um, my Christian faith also speaks to, you know, if you just live in this bubble of, you know, we all believe and think the same way, then we're really not doing our job, which is empowering and growing and 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 creating a path for other people outside of that bubble so as I hear myself say that it really is you know what is our outreach what is our what how how can we touch the industry so um, I sit on the board of directors for the um, Manitoba Women in Construction and uh, you know I'm speaking at Women in Trades and just trying to hopefully inspire and empower um you know, other women to grow in this field and to not be afraid to, to bring that transformational relational uh, uh, perspective to their jobs and to their engagement with their, with their staff, with their um, vendors, customers, you know, whoever it is. Um, I think that's, that's a process that we need to continue to, um, aspire to is just to to keep pushing that transformational piece and and create environments where people don't have to be fearful of um being you know that ego driven i don't know that that's a tough one it's um i think we can just do it one person at a time it's just empower one person and they'll go on and and uh, lead and be an example. They, I have some some young people, some young women working for me now, and I, I can't be naive enough to think that they'll stay with me forever and ever after. But at 22, if I can keep them really engaged and really inspired and really growing and challenged for the next few years, then I would happily see them go on to do other things and feel quite 
comfortable and confident knowing that they will, that we've created a benchmark for them, that they would go into other organizations and go, whoa, you know, this is how we did it at Metal Depot. And this is the results we got. So let's try that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's really cool. So we always encourage people to take action within 24 hours after learning something new at Ambition Theory. So I'm really curious um, what you can recommend people do if they want to start leaning into their transformational leadership skills, just starting to practice kind of bringing that relational side of things to the table in their job. How can they start doing that? And this is something they could do either today or tomorrow, like a really small baby step just to get started. Look in the mirror. Um, be personally accountable. Um, we, women spend a lot of time in the lust and loathing and we, we lust over, um, you know, I get people say, Oh, I I wish that I could travel like you do. And I wish that I could, you know, blah, 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 you know, or we were driven by Instagram. Oh, I wish that I, you know, it's that lusting after something. And then the loathing of, you know, our bodies and our position and our, and our current life and going, Oh, you know, if only I could do this and if only I could do that. And for me, personal accountability is the biggest thing you can do. The biggest gift you can give yourself is to look in the mirror and recognize that the next second, whatever choice you make, whether it's the thought, the attitude, whether you smile, frown, cry, whatever, the next thing you put in your mouth, the next thing you do, it's all your responsibility and nobody can take that away from you. There is no blaming. There is no, um, yeah, like it's just, it's such a bigger, it's, it's a, it seems like such a small thing to look in the mirror and say, I am responsible for my current situation, whatever that may be good, bad, or ugly. And I can choose to change it within the next second. That to me is so exciting and inspiring and scary because once you once you walk down that path you can no longer blame so if you agree and you commit to no blame then it can't be well my husband this or because i don't have money or because i don't it's all choices and every single thing you do is a choice and once you stop the blame game on everything that you do it's incredibly liberating incredibly liberating I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Nadine. So Nadine, how do people connect with you and learn more about Metal Depot? Well, unfortunately, I'm quite bad when it comes to social media and LinkedIn. So your best bet is to uh, just find us on our website at metaldepotltd.com. And then you can access the uh, you can access me through that. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today, Nadine. I'm really inspired by your story and your leadership journey. Thank you for having me. Hey, before you go, I wanted to read a listener review. This one is from Angelider. Brilliant, actionable advice for women in construction. Andrea is a world-class trainer, coach, and speaker. Her work here on the podcast is evidence of that expertise. As an engineer, I've seen firsthand how difficult it can be for women to thrive in the construction industry. Andrea's advice is not only spot on, it's actionable. I can guarantee that those who take action on Andrea's guidance will find a near immediate impact on their careers and lives and will set themselves up for next level success in the long run. 
Thank you so much, Angelita, for this great review. Now, I'm wondering if you can do me a favor. Can you go into Apple Podcasts and give a five-star review and a comment? This really helps us to get the word out about the podcast so that we can keep making episodes for you. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Ambition Theory Women in Construction is hosted by me, Andrea Jansen, and produced by Michael Boyd from Podcast Atlantic. Our artwork is by Tara Andrews. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.